Hey, what's up, everybody? Hey. Hey, it's good to see you all. I'm so glad that you chose to be here tonight with me, with Challenge. Uh, as Daniel shared, my name is David, and I just want to say welcome. If I haven't met you yet, then let's, you should meet me. Uh, we should meet each other. <laughs> That'd be good. Uh, I want to start off tonight with a little, a little audience participation. Nothing crazy. Just want a show of hands, okay? I want a show of hands, all right? So prep yourself for that. Who here wants to make the world a better place? Like, if that's in some way, okay. That's pretty much everybody, right? Is that, does that seem like, that seems about right to me. I think it's, of course you do. <laughs> I don't know. That's, innately, we see, we understand as people that there's a problem in the world. There's just, stuff is wrong. And man, it would be so incredible if we were able to somehow make a difference, somehow get, make that situation better, right? We want to make the world a better place. We innately know that something is missing, and that goes both for personally as well as globally. Personally, as we've been diving into in this whole series of designed and being designed by God for a purpose, being designed by God in all these different ways of living that he's set aside for us to, to, to abide by. And so we, we understand that personally, we, we've been designed for a purpose, and I, I encourage you to look back at, or listen back to some messages from the past few weeks to understand more of what maybe God, what God has for you and your purpose and your design. And we also understand globally that the world is messed up, you guys. Have you noticed that, right? <laughs> and, in, and especially in college, like you're optimistic enough to believe that you can make a difference. I love that. <laughs> That's good. We need that. Because later on in life, you're going to get so kind of caught up and so distracted or whatever, that, or jaded <laughs> in one way or another, that you can easily lose sight of what's important, easily lose sight of the, the hope that we have that can, in fact, change the world. I want to get into all of that, and I'm really excited to get into all of that. And so I want to kind of go over, biblically speaking, what does the Bible say about, about our problem globally and its solution? So God designed mankind to be bearers of his image, right? Reflecting that image as a means of glorifying him. I went into that a little bit a couple weeks ago. And God gave us as man an assignment. He said, be fruitful and multiply. First chapter of the first book of the Bible, God says, be fruitful and multiply. And so he says that, he tells mankind that so that God's, God's likeness, God's image would be spread around the world. So that we would take that good design that he crafted and that he created and just, and just spread it and share it. And that was, that was the design that he had in mind. And then when sin entered the world, we were no longer fit to experience the blessing of unity with, with our creator. So we failed to properly display and imitate and radiate his image. And so because of that, we naturally find ourselves walking in darkness. That's just where we're at. Normally, that's the way most of the world lives. That's that the darkness that contributes to 
and causes the suffering and the evil and the pain that is just a part of life now. That's what we experience every, every day, in a sense. However, that's the bad news. However, when we make the choice to submit ourselves to Jesus, God's son, and receive the new heart that he gives us, we begin to properly reflect his image again. This is the good news where we can actually fit back into the design that he has crafted for us and live according to the way that he wants for us. And that's actually, not only is that glorifying to God, but that is what is ultimately satisfying and just best for us. And so here's, here's an important fact though. Not only do you have the opportunity to experience God's light, God's, God's design, God's presence for yourself, but as those who have been restored, we have the privilege of partnering with God to share what he's graciously given us with the people around us. Think about that. It's not just a matter of what can I get out of this abundant, glorious relationship with God, but how can I make that available to more people? I've been given access to this incredible gift. How can I make, get that gift in as many hands as possible? As we do that, as we live according to that idea of multiplying, then more of God's good design spreads throughout the world. That is how we can change the world, really. And so in 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, but you, talking about God's people, those of us who believe in Jesus, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, we've all lived there. We've all lived in the darkness. But if God has rescued you from it, then you get to walk in light and be God's possession once again and proclaim his excellencies to those who are still trapped in their darkness. And in Matthew 28, this is the last chapter of the book of Matthew. This is an account of Jesus's life by a man named Matthew. And at the tail end of this book, Jesus tells something really important to his disciples. He said, Jesus came and said to his disciples that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This passage, you might be familiar with it. You might not, but it's called the Great Commission. And that is God's plan for making the world a better place. That is God's plan for bringing creation, bringing mankind back in step with his good design, with God's good design. Make disciples of all nations. God has designed humanity to multiply. And so with the rest of our time, I want to share four steps that you can make. Turns out we're a part of this. We all can be a part of this if you would choose to embrace what God has for you. Four steps that you can take toward multiplication through making disciples. 
And so the step, the first step of this, we have some blanks and a handout if you want to follow along. Step one, become a disciple. Become a disciple. So I mean a few different things by this. This, this idea of being a disciple has a lot to it. There are different facets. And the first and the foremost of these facets is that you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You need to become a follower of Jesus. That is one facet of becoming a disciple where if you haven't received already God's free gift of eternal life, that is your first step toward following Jesus as his disciple. So we need to start there. The second facet is to not only give your life to Christ once and for all, but you need to be a disciple of Christ and walk with Christ and know him. You see, a disciple is someone who not only makes a one-time choice for their teacher, but they go on to model their life after their teacher and, and walk with their teacher. They're trying to know and just absorb everything that that teacher has to offer. That's what a disciple like, literally means. They ha- this was a thing that people did at a, long ago, back in the day, just like we listen to professors and teachers in college, we need to, people would listen to these different rabbis, and, but they would just follow them around. I don't know if you do that, you know, with your professors or whatever, that'd be kind of strange, but you know, whatever, you go to their office hours, and maybe sometimes you kind of cultivate like a good relationship with that professor as, as a disciple or just, he's, they're a mentor to you, they're teaching you one thing or another, right? And so in Philippians 3.8 though, Paul, uh, Paul the Apostle, he takes us to a whole nother level of wanting, yearning to be a, the kind of disciple of Jesus that would know him completely ultim- as the ultimate aim of his life. He says, I count everything as loss, everything in my life, everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He wants to gain and and fully know and embrace and walk with Jesus. That's his aim. And so that is, in some measure, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so not only should we be a disciple of Jesus, but we should be a disciple to and learn from a wiser believer. You should be discipled. And that's another facet of this experience of becoming a disciple is that God has placed people like strategically in your life, not just around you to encourage you like we, like we are in this room, but people who have gone before you, people who have had experiences that you haven't had, who could maybe actually help you in your walk with God. And so that's something that we're really passionate about here. We're passionate incredibly so about you knowing God in the first place and being a disciple of Jesus, but also being a being discipled in a way that enables you to, to be brought along and be poured into by an older, wiser, more experienced believer so that you can benefit from their instruction and ultimately so that you'd be able to pass that along to somebody else. We want to see this multiply. We'll, keep, we'll continue to get into that. And so, but the, the bottom line for this first step is to become a disciple. That's, you have, you can't, You cannot proceed in the rest of these things, really, until you get that straightened out. Step two of our process 
is to get vision and training to disciple. Get vision and training to disciple. So these are two separate things that I want to talk separately about, vision and training. And the first of these, I want to emphasize the perspective for the value of making disciples. We want to have a vision for the things that we do, not just so that we do them kind of mechanically or just sort of obediently without really thinking about why we do it. No, we want to have a vision for the things that we're doing, a vision for disciple-making so that we can really see from God's word and from experience that this matters, that this means something, that this is a way of changing the world. And so one thing that, that gets me out of bed in the morning, metaphorically, in terms of making disciples, okay, is that as I shared earlier, God has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You remember that? That means that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have something. You have something worth sharing. And it's not you. It's not how great or impressive you are. The things that God has has graciously given to me and and called me out of darkness into his marvelous light has nothing to do with me or my merit. And that's good news. (laughs) It's not a, a matter of me trying desperately to impress the people around me. But no, God has given me something worth sharing. And God has given you something worth sharing. And in 2 Corinthians 4, it says that we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. I love this verse. It deeply, meaningfully encourages me because what it's talking about, it's talking about this treasure. There's a lot of different word pictures happening here. We have this treasure. That's that's the truth. That's the word of God. That's the gospel that has been poured out, that's been given to us. And, and we have access to it. We're in a, we're in a, the fact that we're in this room means that we have some sort of association or connection or access to this good news. And so we have this treasure in, it says jars of clay. That's, that's us, you guys. That's you and me. That's the fragile instruments the fragile vessel that we are in, in all of my brokenness, in all of my weakness, in all of my fragility and, and even insecurity, God chose to put me back together and to put his, that treasure within me, not because of any merit or anything that I've done, but purely because because he found it best to use this broken vessel in order to radiate his light, in order to, in order to imitate and radiate his good design and reflect his good design. That's, that's the beauty, that's the glory of the gospel. This shows, it says, that, not, that the surpassing power, excuse me, belongs to God and not to us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about what God can do through me and through you. God's power is on display through your life as you choose to let his treasure shine through you. I've included a couple different quotes in your handout that of different books, different resources about the disciple-making process that I've 
had the opportunity to read over years. And I encourage you, all of these that I'm quoting, I would highly encourage you to read these works, these books. And so I have one that I'm quoting here from a book called Personal Disciple Making. It says that God isn't hunting for highly trained, extremely capable, hard-driving big shots who can formulate magnificent plans to win the world for Christ. No, he's looking for faithful men and women who are willing to carry out his plans in his magnificent ways. We can do that. (laughs) We can do that. And so that is one of many reasons why why we can have a vision for disciple making. That's that's the kind of vision that shows me, that, that prompts me toward why God even wants to use us in the first place. And another thing that I think is worth sharing is that we have a responsibility in some way in this. We have a responsibility to make disciples. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, the surpassing power belongs to God, right? Surpassing power, it belongs to God, but he has, we've been entrusted with that power. God's entrusted that power to us. And like our friend Uncle Ben says, am I right? Okay, with great power comes great responsibility, okay? Uh, He was right, actually. So it's not just like cool comic book movie stuff. This is like, this is real, okay? That's true. You're, You're given something powerful, something significant, the treasure in jars of clay. And that power comes with great responsibility. We have a stewardship. You've been given something incredible that has the power to change the world. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> there, that's something convicting about that. That's a vision that I need to, to wrestle with and, and get behind in order to jump toward, in order to move toward the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace, the task of making disciples of all nations. In another book, called Growing Up, the author writes, the gospel came to you because it was heading to someone else. The gospel came to you because it was heading to someone else. It is incredible, it is glorious that I've been given the wonderful gift of knowing God. And that, that's precious. And nothing can take that away. And it would be a shame, however, for that gift to stop with me or for it to stop with you. And so God has sends the gospel through people to multiply, multiply and spread that gospel in order to spread his good design throughout creation. So let's not let it start with, stop with us. And then another aspect of vision that I want to share is the power of multiplication. The power of multiplication. You see, if you think about it, we could do our best to try to fill bigger and bigger rooms like this with as many people as possible, adding and adding and adding, perhaps even thousands of people on a regular basis. We could try to do that, and that would be really cool. I'd like that, okay? (laughs) However, however, if you, if even just some of us were to walk away from our time tonight and make one disciple, if you took a year from right now If you found somebody and started investing in their life and built into them and taught them everything that you could possibly do in order to teach them how to be a disciple who makes disciples, if you could do that in one year and then continue on and continue to teach them 
beyond a year from now, but if you, the two of you did that together, then both of you would then be equipped to make a disciple. And so then a year from now, you guys could do that again. And so that you, you would then take another year to build into two more people in all these different things, all the things that Jesus has commanded us, Matthew 28, okay, he's talking about that. And so in two years from now, you'd have four people who were able to do that. And if you, if you let that happen, let that compounding, multiplicative nature of that design, that teaching, that way of spreading the gospel and spreading what it means to live according to God's design, then we could actually see the world changed in a mere matter of decades, honestly. Whereas if we were to just plop a thousand people in here every day, honestly, we wouldn't be able to reach that. We wouldn't be able to reach that, those numbers because there's too many people. But if we can multiply using our lives, just faithfully investing in one person after one person after one person, if you could just do that in the midst of everything else in life, you have a lot of things going on, you have your major, you have your career in the future, but God can use anybody, any disciple to make another disciple who can make another disciple. In another incredible, important book that you should read, The Fuel in the Flame, it says this. It says that making disciples is a powerful way to multiply your life. Pouring yourself into just one other student may seem like an insignificant way to begin changing the world for Jesus, but it is the best place to start. And it turns out it is effective and it will accomplish the task. It will enable us to tread closer and closer to Jesus's great commission of making disciples of all nations. That's what we're trying to do. And so briefly to touch on training, I know I've talked a lot about vision, continue to get vision for your life and for discipleship. Uh, training, this is important because we want to make sure that we are built up in something, something stable. Jesus says in Luke 6, 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. If we're trying to be a disciple of Christ, a disciple is somebody who is all trying to be like Christ, like us, then we're going to try to imitate him. And it says that everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. We must be trained in these things in order to be like Jesus. It's important to be passionate, to be zealous, to be excited about the prospect of investing in the lives of other people. I want to implore you toward just a vision that will excite you and make you hungry to, to make that happen. But it needs to be pursued with a kind of humility that is willing to and interested in receiving training. We have to get some training in these things. And that's where somebody else who's farther along, a mentor, can come in to actually help you in these things and to teach you just everything that they had learned at one point. So I'm going to move on to step number three to, to keep us moving along here. Step number three is simply pray for a disciple. Pray for a disciple. See, as you build on your foundation as a disciple, developing your vision and acquiring training, what you need to do next is to set your sights toward discipleship. As scary as that might be, but set your sights toward making disciples by asking God to do a few things. Ask God to give you a heart to, to be able to do this and a willingness to do this and 
the strength and the power to do this because I don't know about you, but it can feel very daunting to even consider this, this possibility of, of spending your life in this way, of investing in other people. But also, you should consider asking God to provide someone for you to pour into. Ask God for one person, right? Pray for a disciple. And so, as you reckon with the, the magnitude, the importance, uh, the vision of multiplication, just ask, start by asking God, okay, how, who do you have for me? Who's one person? In Matthew 9, this is a, a huge, incredible passage where, about Jesus. And he says this, says this, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And what's he talking about here? I'll break it down here. In this passage, we can see several things that are on the heart of Jesus. These things are on the heart of Jesus. And the first is that he was moved with compassion for the people around him. He recognized their lostness and he was grieved by it. He recognized that apart from him, these people have no hope. Harassed, helpless, it says. And especially for us who have at one time, we were walking in darkness and God has brought us out of that. And we don't want to take that for granted by just being excited about what God's doing, but no, everybody needs this. So he was moved with compassion. And then the next, he makes a statement about the need that is surrounding us. He says that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What's he talking about? This is a metaphor, right? Uh, agricultural metaphor. He was using to communicate about those who need this gift of life and those who are equipped to share it. The harvest is those who don't know God and the workers are those who, call, who are called to sow seeds and to till soil and to labor to bring life out of the ground by making disciples. But to do this literally in the, in the lives of people. And so there's a, there's a problem, there's a discrepancy that he's sharing. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What's the problem? The problem is not with the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is billions of people who do not have access to God. The harvest is plentiful. The problem is the lack of laborers. Finally, Jesus issues a command. Ask. Ask. Ask God, the Lord of the harvest, for more laborers. And if Jesus is compelling you to pray that God would raise up disciple makers, laborers, wouldn't it make sense for you to consider how he might be raising you up to make disciples? Who has he placed in your life that you should share with? There's so much more that I could share about that, but I need to keep moving on. Step four is make a disciple. We've, we've gotten this far. How to make disciples? Step four is make a disciple. Okay, keeping it simple. So this might seem, this is kind of a big, and maybe even too vague a term for it to mean much to us. But I understand if you start out as a disciple, which is step number one, become a disciple. Know Jesus for the first time, making the Lord of your life, 
continue to know him, be a disciple of him, and engage in the process of, of mentorship that, that the Bible has given us a model for. Jesus had these disciples and he, he passed these things down to them. And so how do we get that in the lives of other people? So I have a few instructions. I have a few steps for this. And so if you want to write them down, you could. But the first step in this process of making a disciple would be share the gospel. Okay? Share the gospel. This can be a hard thing to do. And it might be a confusing thing to do if you're not fully aware or understanding of what exactly that entails. I'm sure that somebody would love to go over that with you. But regardless, that might just be a very, very scary thing to think about doing. But if you share the gospel with enough people, then some of them are going to start responding to that, okay? If you share the gospel with enough people, then, then people are going to respond. And those people are going to be drawn to that light that God has called them, out, called them to. And once that happens, then when somebody chooses to make Jesus the Lord of your life as a result of our step of obedience to share the gospel, then what happens next? The next step is to follow up. Follow up, if you want to write that down. And so we need to, to, to get in there and say, hey, like, God's taught me a lot of things through somebody else in my life and through these other mentors and through challenge. And I'd love to just continue to talk with more with you about that, to, to help to try to do my best to teach you what it means to live in a way that pleases God and to, to do these different things that we do as, as God's people. And so that's, that's what it means to follow up. You share the gospel first, you follow up. Next, you impart the basics, impart the basics. There's some important basics that are part of our discipleship process that we like to get into here. And it's important, namely, for us to pray, have, develop the patterns, develop the skills of praying to God and develop a habit and skills to get deeply, deeply into the word of God. We also want to fellowship together as the body of believers and we want to look outwardly and consider how can I share the gospel? How can I make disciples? Those are the basics, really, as we abide in Christ, who is our foundation. The next step is to share life together. Share life together. See, Jesus, once again, the rabbi with his disciples, they were just following him around. They were just doing things together. And sometimes Jesus would sit down and he would teach them something. Sometimes Jesus would just do something. Sometimes it was crazy. It was really outside of the norms of what they expected of him as a, as a spiritual leader at that time. And he, he taught them things and they were able to observe his life in the context of life, of real life. And so by sharing life together with someone that you're discipling, you can, you can observe them. They can have the opportunity to observe your life. You can teach things. You can model things. You can exemplify whatever it is that God might be teaching you at the particular moment. But we need to share life together. And this is also just a, a way of, of loving this person that God has given you to disciple as well. Share life together. And then finally, the last step of this process is to train them to do the same. Train them to do the same. If I share the gospel with somebody and they pray to receive Christ, and then I follow up with them and say, hey, do you want to keep walking through some of this stuff together? then we impart, I, I try my best to impart the basics to them and continue to share my life with them. And then, finally, I want to train them to do the same. 
meaning that they would share the gospel and follow up with that person and impart the basics, share life with them, and train them to do the same. So that that person would share the gospel and follow up with them and impart the basics <laughs> and share life with them and train them, somebody else to do the same, okay? 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave the great commission, which I shared earlier, Matthew 28, to his disciples who went and made disciples who made disciples. They did all these different things and that unbroken chain in some way, in some crazy way of multiplication has led us to right now, okay? To you and I sitting, standing in this room who have the privilege of carrying on that legacy by investing in the lives of other people. This, we're here, it needs to move somewhere and man, we can be a part of Jesus's multiplication, Jesus's disciple making ministry, his strategy of reaching the world for himself. Second Timothy two verse two says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What's this verse talking about? This is a book written by the apostle Paul and it was addressed to Timothy. That's why it's second Timothy. And he's saying this, what you've heard from me, what I've taught you, me, Paul, what I've taught you, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, and trust those things that I've taught you, teach them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And presumably that unbroken line of discipleship, of multiplication, has spread up to this point in human history. Once again, these apostles, they started all these different things, starting with Jesus and his command, his commission to make disciples. And so here we are. What are we going to do about it? We have four layers of discipleship that we see in 2 Timothy 2.2. And there's all sorts. There's an endless, seemingly endless just string of discipleship that has happened from then until now. And so what are we going to do about it? My, my goal tonight, it's been just a humble attempt to encapsulate some of these key truths about God's global plan of redemption to make disciples of all nations. And as well as I hope it's been helpful and encouraging in helping you figure out, okay, what's my next step? I want you to consider where am I at in this process? Do I need to become a disciple of Jesus for the first time tonight? Do I need to build my vision, my training? Do I need to pray for the harvest? Or is it time for me to take the the dangerous, the scary, the all-important step of laboring in the harvest by making a disciple. A final quote that I have for you is from a, another book, Disciples Are Made, Not Born. It says, when you pour out your life into the lives of others, when you share with them the unsearchable riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ and become involved with them, in their concerns, you become God's co-laborer in a creation far greater than the first one. Wow. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation whose design is to multiply. Do you want to make the world a better place? If so, then spend your life as a disciple who makes disciples. Let me pray for us. Father, first of all, thank you. Thank you for offering us, for giving us 
giving us access to the free gift of eternal life in you. God, thank you for drawing us to yourself, for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. I pray that for any of us who are still somewhere deep in that darkness, Lord, I pray that you would call us. I pray that you would help us recognize our need for you. And for all of us, Lord, who call on your name, I pray that you would develop each one of us into laborers, into disciples who would make disciples. I pray that we would put you first in all things of our life to know you, to follow you. And as we follow your methods that you've laid out in scripture, I pray that we would get to experience the joy of investing in the lives of other human beings that you have designed in your image so that we can see your glory spread across the earth as we seek to multiply according to your design. Let that be so of us. Give us perspectives and vision and training to do all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.